A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. A different drummer. And now, coming to you from dead center on your dial, welcome to Risk Parity Radio, where we explore alternatives in asset allocations for the do-it-yourself investor. Broadcasting to you now from the comfort of his easy chair, here is your host, Frank Vasquez. Thank you, Mary, and welcome to Risk Parity Radio. If you are new here and wonder what we are talking about, you may wish to go back and listen to some of the foundational episodes for this program. Yeah, baby, yeah! And the basic foundational episodes are episodes 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9. Some of our listeners, including Karen and Chris, have identified additional episodes that you may consider foundational. And those are episodes 12, 14, 16, 19, 21, 56, 82, and 184. And you probably should check those out too because we have the finest podcast audience available. Top drawer. Really top drawer. Along with a host named after a hot dog. Lighten up, Francis. But now onward to episode 216. Today on Risk Parity Rate, it's time for our weekly portfolio reviews of the seven sample portfolios you can find at www.riskparityradio.com on the portfolios page. We not only have our weekly reviews, we also have our monthly distributions to talk about. But before we get to that, I'm intrigued by this, how you say, emails. And, first off, First off, we have an email from Blake, and Blake writes. Hi, Frank. Thanks for the great feedback on episode 200 regarding my pathway to financial independence descent portfolio. I took your comments into consideration. Yeah, baby, yeah! And created version two of the portfolio and accompanying white paper. You are the second person who recommended a smaller equity exposure for a retirement phase, so I went ahead and reduced it to 70% overall by reallocating 6% to gold and long-term bonds. According to portfolio charts, this improved the historical volatility and safe withdrawal rates, as you might expect. The portfolio now stacks up well against the golden butterfly with a meaningful improvement in returns and safe withdrawal rate in exchange for a little more downside risk. For someone like myself, with a long retirement horizon ahead, I am happy with that trade-off. I considered Fama and French in constructing this portfolio, which brought in the small cap value. But I ended up with a large cap blend instead of growth because many core funds that follow the S&P 500 or a total stock market index lean toward growth anyway. And I thought it would be more practical for most people to find a good low cost fund in that category. I also did not see the value, pardon the pun, in switching to large cap growth when I looked at the difference in portfolio charts going back to 1970. In general, I don't mind having a more value-leaning portfolio if that's the case. As for the real estate and utilities portions of the portfolio, I like having some sector diversification as well, and I think the dividends from these sectors can come in handy for income generation in retirement. 
Neither large-cap U.S. nor international funds have much real estate or utilities in them. They tend to be dominated by tech companies and financials these days, hence the lower correlation with these sectors. I see what you are saying about the style boxes, though. Utilities are large and value-y, and REITs are a mid-cap blend. So again, more of a value lean to compensate for the large growth companies that dominate a core U.S. stock market fund. I guess I must love value. Not bad company in that case, Buffett, Munger, and Graham. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I looked at the effect of diversifying the international allocation across large cap, small cap value, and emerging markets, and added that to the appendix of version 2 of my white paper. At the small percentages involved, there was not much difference, and I am cautious about the higher fees that many specialized international funds take. Here are the links to the updated portfolio and white paper. Thanks again for your feedback. I love the show. The best, Jerry. The best. Well, Blake, I was happy to give that feedback in episode 200, and I'm glad to see you are continuing to make good use of these tools to come up with your own variations for a decumulation portfolio. I will link to both of your papers in the show notes so people can check them out. But what Blake has done there is some analysis using the tools at Portfolio Visualizer and for Portfolio Charts, in particular the risk-reward calculator at Portfolio Charts and the correlation analysis at Portfolio Visualizer. And to me, this is really an example of a best practices process for constructing your own portfolios in the 2020s. Am I right or am I right? Or am I right? Am I right? Ten years ago, we were not able to do something like this as do-it-yourself investors because we didn't have access to these tools and this data. But now that we do have access to these tools and this data, we have the tools, we have the talent. It behooves us to use them and not just blindly follow what others have done. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. And I'm meaning not just blindly follow what I've done either. I switched glasses when your back was turned! Ha <laughs> ha, you fool! Because the portfolios that we've constructed here are just samples. You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. And samples are meant to be improved upon. You may also wish to play around with the calculator over at Early Retirement Now that Karsten Yeska has put out. It is in a spreadsheet form, so it's not quite as user-friendly as some of the others you've been playing with, but it does have data that goes back to 1926 in terms of the Fama French factors. You would describe it as very deep but not very broad in terms of the choices that you can make. You cannot put in, for example, REITs or utilities going back to 1926. However, you can model portfolios with small cap value in them and with gold and with basic 10-year treasury bonds. And we will be talking further about that in a future episode. Just to wet your whistle. Expect the unexpected. And just a couple more comments on your email. I'm glad you found the style boxes because those differentiations between value and growth, I think, are important considerations when you're talking about the stock part of your portfolio. And as we've seen this year in particular, you can get very differing results from value stocks versus growth stocks in some years. Usually they won't be that much different, but a year like this, they are up to 20% 
different in performance. <gasps> and that's why you want to have some of both. Your use of 70% in equities is also consistent with basic guideline recommendations from people like Bill Bengen and Wade Fow. The sweet spot for maximizing a safe withdrawal rate seems to be somewhere between 40 and 70% equities in an average retirement style portfolio. When you go higher or lower than that, it tends to generally detract from the projected safe withdrawal rate. And people are often surprised by that, but it does illustrate the difference between maximizing total returns and maximizing a safe withdrawal rate, that you have two different kinds of portfolios that do that. That is the straight stuff, O oh Funkmaster. And that's why we want to cut back on the 90 or 100% equity holdings that we might have during our accumulation phase to something a little bit less aggressive. Yes! And I agree with you that it's often difficult to figure out what to do about international stocks because one of the realities, if you are a U.S. investor investing in international stocks, a large part of what you are doing is, in effect, speculating on the value of the U.S. dollar versus other currencies because a lot of the relative returns are based on the relative value of the U.S. dollar and which way it's going. That's the principal reason why international stocks have done so poorly this year has been largely the strength of the U.S. dollar. And if you look back in time, you'll see that international stocks really outperformed in those periods when the dollar was falling in value versus other currencies. So if you're looking at a period shortly after the beginning of 1985 was a very good period for international stocks. And of course, after 2002, when the dollar also reached a peak, was a very good era for international stocks. And you also see this phenomenon playing out just in U.S. stocks generally, that companies that derive a lot of their revenue from outside of the United States tend to do worse than those that are deriving most of their revenue from inside the United States, which are a lot of value stocks and a lot of small cap value stocks. Because if there is a strong dollar and you are a company that is importing raw materials and then creating something and selling it in the U.S., that's the best position to be in because your costs are essentially going down while your revenues are going up just on the currency fluctuation. And if you want to see a microcosm of that, just look at what happened on Friday. I think the dollar dropped by about 2% in value, which is a huge move currency-wise. But of course, that led to huge moves in international stocks, particularly the Chinese stocks went up, not only because of that, but because of other factors. But some of those funds were up 7 or 8% on Friday. And then you look at things like gold, and that was also up 3% on Friday. And that's all really related to the relative performance of the U.S. dollar. But I think that's enough on that. So I will put these links in the show notes. And thank you for that email. Second off. Second off, we have an email from Jen. And Jen writes. Hi, Frank. I'm binge listening to your podcast and enjoying it. I have a question, though, on the implementation of the risk parity portfolios. When using ETFs, my understanding is that fractional shares cannot be bought. So how do you rebalance and maintain the exact target percentages? Thanks, Gigi. Well, I think I've answered this question before, but I don't mind answering it again. 
Your understanding is incorrect that whether you can buy fractional shares of ETFs depends on your brokerage, not on the nature of ETFs. So you can do that at Fidelity, you can do it at E-Trade, and it is in fact what we are doing with our sample portfolios. We buy and sell fractional shares for the distributions and rebalancings. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. So if you want to be able to do that, you simply need to move your accounts to a brokerage that allows you to do it. These go to 11. But that being said, rebalancing does not need to be that precise. Using whole shares is probably good enough, unless you were talking about something like Berkshire Hathaway's A shares. So if something is within a percent, rebalancing is not going to make a big difference anyway. But this is a general problem I see that amateur investors have is not comprehending orders of magnitude in the decision-making process or management of a portfolio. Oftentimes, some of these things are just of a trivial nature, and this is one of them, whether you rebalance with fractional shares or use a whole share. Another one would be comparing ETFs down to the basis point. There really is not that big a difference between an ETF with a expense ratio of 0.03 versus one with 0.05 or 0.07. Those are the within the same order of magnitude. The differences come when you're talking about something with a expense ratio of less than 0.1 and something with an expense ratio that's closer to one. But also along those lines, while you want to have the lowest expense ratio for your biggest holdings in a portfolio, if you have something that is going to be a very small holding anyway, a higher expense ratio is not going to matter that much for the overall portfolio because the amount of it you are holding is very small. Sometimes it is good just to pull out a calculator and check out something on an order of magnitude basis to see whether it's something of real concern or of trivial concern because you want to be focusing your efforts on those things that are going to matter the most and not on trivialities. Forget about it. And this is also why rebalancing too frequently with trivial percentage amounts doesn't actually help you and in fact probably hurts you, at least with respect to making more transactions, which can lead to more taxes and losing money on the bid-ask spread of whatever you're trading. Although with the big ETFs, we're talking about a penny, so it probably doesn't matter that much. Hopefully that answers your question again. And thank you for that email. Last off. Last off, we have an email from my contact info. Oh, I didn't know you were doing one. Oh, sure. Who was very busy with us in early September. I think I've improved on your methods a bit, too. I employed some chiaroscuro shading and... And my contact info writes... Here is another good discussion of managed futures from the Investors First podcast. Our guest today is Andrew Beer, managing member and co-portfolio manager for Dynamic Beta Investments, an investment firm founded in 2012. Over the past decade... Andrew's singular focus has been to identify strategies to match or outperform portfolios of leading hedge funds with low fees, daily liquidity, and less downside risk. 
Andrew has been in and around the financial services and hedge fund industry in particular for more than 25 years. In today's episode, we will discuss Andrew's journey to starting Dynamic Beta, democratizing access to hedge fund strategies at reasonable costs, the benefits of replication and managed futures for portfolios, and building investment solutions to solve for client needs. My name is Frank Garcia, and I currently serve as the president of CFA Society Orlando and will be your host today. Please enjoy the episode. Well, it's amazing how much people like to talk about things that are doing well in a particular year. And just for reference, what is being talked about and who Andrew Beer is, is the founder of a fund called DBMF, which invests in managed futures in an algorithmic format. And we first talked about that in episodes 55 and 57, almost two years ago now. As a potential wave or part of the future, in terms of being able to invest in this asset class, managed futures, which had frankly not been very investable for the do-it-yourself investor in the past. And as it turns out, that fund has done very well. It's now being adopted by many registered investment advisors for high net worth clients and others, and now has over a billion dollars in assets in it, and is up 25 or 30% this year. So Mr. Beer has done a number of interviews in the past several months. I will link to this one in the show notes. It is also worth listening to if you are interested in this asset class. Real wrath of God type stuff. So thank you for bringing this to our attention and adding to our little free library we have here. Groovy, baby. And thank you for that email. And now for something completely different. And the something completely different will be our weekly portfolio reviews of the seven sample portfolios you can find at www.riskparityradio.com on the portfolios page and talk about our monthly distributions for which we have made the trades but have not made the distributions themselves. But we'll be doing so next week. But anyway, it was another crazy week out there in the markets. The S&P 500 was down 3.35%. NASDAQ was down a 5.65% for the week. No thank you, Jerome Powell. <laughs> People really didn't like that press conference he gave. But small cap value did all right, comparatively. Our representative fund, VIOV, was only down 1.39% for the week. Gold was one of the big winners last week. I love gold! Gold was up 2.21% for the week. All of that on Friday, really. REITs, represented by the fund REET, were down 1.35% for the week. Commodities were the big winner last week. Our representative fund PDBC was up 4.84% for the week. Preferred shares, represented by the fund PFF, were down 2.76% for the week. Long-term treasury bonds, represented by the fund TLT, were down 2.67% for the week. Continuing their slide for the year, I heard something to the effect that This year has been the fourth or fifth worst year for government bonds in English-speaking countries since 1700. I command that you shoot me now! And one of the more worst years was the one involving the South Seas bubble in 1720. Which leads to our last fund, that Managed Futures Fund DBMF, that was up 0.44% for the week. Moving to our sample portfolios, the first one is this reference portfolio, the All Seasons 
That is 30% in a total stock market fund, 55% in intermediate and long-term treasury bonds, and then a remaining 15% divided into gold and commodities. It was down 1.59% for the week. It is down 21.6% year-to-date and 10.25% since inception in July 2020. We will be distributing $28 from it from the Commodities Fund PDBC for November, and that's at an annualized rate of 4%. We will have distributed $352 year-to-date and $913 since inception in July 2020. All of that is also recorded on the portfolios page at the website. Moving to our three bread-and-butter portfolios, in kind of order of aggressiveness. First one is the golden butterfly. This one is 40% in stocks, divided into a total stock market fund and a small cap value fund. 40% in bonds, divided into long and short-term treasuries, and 20% in gold. It was down 1.11% for the week. A veritable snooze fest again. It is down 15.86% year-to-date and is up 5.62% since inception in July 2020. We will be distributing $39 out of it for November. It will come out of cash, which has accumulated. Those bonds are paying 4% now. We are distributing 5% annualized from this portfolio. And after the distribution, we'll have distributed $475 year-to-date and $1,256 since inception in July 2020. Just for reference, all of these portfolios started with $10,000 or about that when we initiated them. The next one is the Golden Ratio portfolio. This one is 42% in stock funds, 26% in long-term treasuries, 16% in gold, 10% in REITs, and the rest in a money market fund. It was down 1.86% for the week. It is down 21.52% year-to-date and is up 0.31% since inception in July 2020. We'll be distributing $37 from it for November. That's at an annualized rate of 5%. It comes out of the cash or money market portion because that is the way we distribute from this particular one and then just replenish the cash once a year. We will have distributed $469 from it year-to-date and $1,250 from it since inception in July 2020. Next one is our Risk Parity Ultimate. This is kind of a kitchen sink portfolio. It has 15 funds in it. I will not go through all of them. It was down 1.64% for the week. It's down 25.65% year-to-date and 4.98% since inception in July 2020. We are distributing $41 out of it. For November, that's at an annualized rate of 6%. It will be coming from that managed futures fund, DBMF, which has done so well recently. We will have distributed $534 out of it year-to-date and $1,454 out of it since inception in July 2020. And now we move to these experimental portfolios. We perform hideous experiments here so you don't have to. All these involve levered funds and so are quite volatile. The first one is the Accelerated Permanent Portfolio. This one is 27.5% in a leveraged bond fund TMF, 25% in a leveraged stock fund UPRO, 25% in PFF, a preferred shares fund, and 22.5% in gold, GLDM. 
It was down 3.89% for the week. It was down 44.49% year-to-date and 22.1% since inception in July 2020. We'll be distributing $31 out of it from the Preferred Shares Fund PFF for the month of November. We're distributing an annualized rate of 6%. We will have distributed $577 out of it year-to-date and $1,800 out of it since inception in July 2020. Now, moving to our most levered and least diversified portfolio, the aggressive 50-50. This one's half stocks and half bonds. It is comprised of 33% in UPRO, the leveraged stock fund, 33% in TMF, the leveraged bond fund, and the remaining third divided into a preferred shares fund and an intermediate treasury bond fund as the ballast. It was down 5.59% for the week. It is down 52.01% year-to-date. And it is down 26.92% since inception in July 2020. Went from the best to the worst this year. You can't handle the gambling problem. We will be distributing $29 out of it, which is at a 6% annualized rate. It will come from the Intermediate Treasury Bond Fund, VGIT, for November. We will have distributed $560 out of it year-to-date and $1,801 since inception in July 2020. Moving to our last portfolio, which has only been around since July 2021. This is the Levered Golden Ratio. It is comprised of 35% in NTSX, which is a composite S&P 500 and Treasury bond fund. 25% in gold, GLDM. 15% in a REIT O, Realty Income Corp. 10% each in a levered small cap fund, TNA, and a levered bond fund, TMF. And the remaining 5% is in a volatility fund, a VIXM, and a Bitcoin fund, GBTC. It was down 2.16% for the week. It's down 28.56% year-to-date and down 24.18% since inception in July 2021. We will be distributing $29 out of it for November. That's at a 5% annualized rate. It will come from NTSX, the composite fund. We will have distributed $479 out of it year-to-date and $776 out of it since inception in July 2021. And all of this information is contained at the website, www.riskperryradio.com, on the portfolios page. But now I see our signal is beginning to fade. We are almost halfway through September's emails. We'll see how far we get next week. If you have comments or questions for me, please send them to frank at riskparityradio.com. That email is frank at riskparityradio.com. Or you can go to the website, www.riskparityradio.com, and put your message into the contact form, and I'll get it that way. If you haven't had a chance to do it, please go to your favorite podcast provider and like, subscribe, give me some stars, a review. That would be great. Okay. Thank you once again for tuning in. This is Frank Vasquez with Risk Parity Radio. Signing off. Fell victim to one of the classic blunders. (laughs) 
The Risk Parity Radio Show is hosted by Frank Vasquez. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult with your own advisors before taking any actions based on any information you have heard here, making sure to take into account your own personal circumstances.